We've been shifting gears, challenging you to shift gears. What does a disciple look like? That the theme of the series, if you could say one, one sentence, the theme of the series is that Jesus, Jesus never defined Christian. Jesus constantly defined disciple. So let's say that together. Ready? Jesus never defined Christian. Jesus always defined disciple. Wow, like two people said it. Let's say that together. Ready? Jesus never defined Christian. Jesus always defined disciple. And so we're going to look at the last definition of a disciple. Week one, way back in week one, about five weeks ago now, uh, shared with you the three-stage process of discipleship. Matthew 4, 19. When Jesus calls the disciples, Matthew, Mark, and, and, and I'm sorry, Matthew, and I'm not, not Matthew, Peter and Andrew, James and John, the fishermen, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me is stage one. That means you just come. We just want you to show up. We just want you to be here. We want you to invite people here. We want people to come wherever they are on the spectrum of faith and on the spectrum of life. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what you think about uh, social issues. I don't care if you're an atheist, agnostic, lapsed Catholic, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian that didn't do it anymore, whatever. I don't care. You just come. We want to be the church where people can come just as they are. Second stage is very important, though. Second stage is where you take that step and you say, okay, Jesus, you can make me. Okay, Jesus, you can have your way with my life. And that means a constant, we talked about this in week one, a constant experience of uncomfortability where we are always challenged in areas that we really don't want to be challenged in, but we know we need to be challenged there. That there will be people here in this service and, and there will be people that will come up to me after services and they'll say, Tim, I wish you didn't say that. I really hated what you said, but I needed to hear that. It, it, it is something in my life that needs to change. And that's where we are being made into what Jesus wants us to be. Now, the third stage is summed, summed up in this, fishers of men. And that all of us, every single disciple, if you want to say the last definition of disciple for this series and the final, the final gear, every disciple makes disciples. Amen. Every disciple Every person that's on the path to knowing and loving Jesus is somebody that Jesus wants to make other disciples. It's like this whole big family tree, and we're all related to Jesus. And Jesus, the 12, and then on and on and on it went. All the way down here to North Attleboro, Massachusetts on June, what's today? 8th, 2013. That we are descendants of other disciples. And this is the process of every, this is the calling, this is the mission of every single other disciple. Okay? That's what we're talking about today. Let's read in our Bibles. Matthew 28, verse uh, 16. Stand with me for a minute as we read from the scriptures. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, and this is right after Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He talked for about 40 days, he told the disciples about the kingdom of God. He explained the scripture to them. And now he's leaving. This is the end of Matthew's gospel. And here's what he says. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. That's where he told them to meet him. 
to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want you to notice those three words at the end of verse 16. But some doubted. They worshipped him, but some doubted. And when, verse, uh, in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, the first word is, Go. Go, therefore, and make... What are we doing? Put that off. Take that off. We're just reading from our scriptures right now. Just take that off the screen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we just did. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. And I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves to your word. We open our hearts tonight. God, do what you want to do in us. May we be changed. May we be challenged. May we be conformed into the image of your Son. Heavenly Father, every person here. Thank you for the lives that have been changed. Thank you for those awesome testimonies. Thank you for gathering us in this place to worship you. Now speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a seat. So make disciples. Every disciple should have other disciples. That's why we do small group. That's why we want small group leaders. That's why we need small group leaders. We need more and more every single day. Because more and more people are coming to our church every single day. And we need people who have a heart and have the passion to make other disciples. That's our call. That's, that's, not, that's not just my job. Like, like some of you, I know what you're thinking. I can't do that. I can't possibly make disciples. I'm hardly a disciple myself. I, I'm struggling with some stuff. I got my issues, Pastor. Because I, I, I think that there are two kinds of people here today. One kind of person here, you, are, you love to make disciples. You love it. You live for it. It is your passion. It is your heart. It is everything. You, you just love talking about Jesus to everybody. Like tax season comes up and somebody's complaining about paying taxes. And you're like, did you know that Matthew, who wrote the first gospel, was a tax collector? And do you know Jesus? You're just like right into Jesus lingo. Just bam, let me just hit you over the head as fast as I can with all that I know about Jesus. And you love it. But if I was to be real honest, and I think if everybody here was to be real honest, I think that most of you are like, I can't do that. In fact, that's the part of this whole deal, this whole Christianity thing. That's the part that scares me the most. It's hard. I mean, you're asking me to, to get somebody, like, you know, to bring them all the way from rejecting God all the way to this place where they're following Jesus and serving him and, and doing all the right things. I don't, I don't think I can do that. I know your excuse, excuses. I know your excuses. I know them so well I made a list of them from my notes. 
Excuse number one. And just, just, just say amen in your head. Don't say amen out loud because I don't want you to look foolish, okay? But just say amen in your head. If this is an excuse that you make for, for saying, I can't possibly make disciples. Number one excuse, I don't know enough of the Bible. Someone didn't even need to keep that in their head. They just want to <laughs> ask me. All right, okay, fine. Number two, I, I don't live a very good example. I, I, and, and you could just, there's any number of ways of saying that. I, I screw up in front of other people. I, I cussed the other day at my, my coworker or, or whatever. Or, you know, I parked in the handicapped spot and somebody saw me. You know, <laughs> Jesus fish is not on my car for that very reason. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not my car. I'm just can't, saying that's their example. Number three, number three, I have my own doubts. If I was to be really honest, I, I struggle every single day. This is some of you. I struggle every single day with whether or not this is true. Fourthly, I can't do it. I don't have gifts, talents, speaking ability. So, you know, for some of you, it's, it's hard enough just ordering a Dunkin' Donuts. You're like, uh, tall, no, 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 this is Dunkin', okay, uh, medium, uh, <laughs> right, iced, cream, you know, and you just, you get like all worked up in front of people when anybody wants you to say anything. And I hear you. I hear the excuses. But I want you to know something. Making disciples is not just for the super gifted, super talented, super spiritual, super saints. All right? So can we do something today? Can we take off the Superman uniform? And please, some of you, please take it off of me. <laughs> With gusto, just take off the Superman, the uniform. It's, I am not Superman, and I am not super spiritual, and I am not a super saint. All I am is a man that Jesus changed. That's all that I am. And all that I have to share with you is everything that God has already put in his word. So it's not my words, it's just God's word. All I am is an instrument. I want you to make sure that you know this before we go any further. Disciple making is not for super saints. Disciple making is not for super saints. I want to prove it to you with one question. And this one I, I want you to raise your hand for. How many of you are here tonight in this church because somewhere in your past, someone other than you influenced you to be a part of the Jesus movement. All right, look around. Look around. Because pretty much every single hand is up here tonight. Do, do you know that most of you are not here because of me? Like, I don't think, I, I don't think anybody's here because of me. I didn't invite you. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't know you, right? And it's, if I knew you, maybe I would have invited you, but I didn't. And, and so most everybody here, you're here because some average, ordinary, probably doubting, questioning, not knowing enough of the Bible, saint, not one of these Superman saints, just one of these ordinary saints, said something to you that made you rethink your life. Can I just share with you that that's basically how it is when it comes to making disciples? 
God loves using the ordinary people. Because here's what I want you to hear. First point, all right? Number one, when Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, when he left them to, to carry on his mission in the world to make, to make disciples, here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this. It is not what you have. It is what Jesus has. I can make disciples not because of what I have, I've done, or I am. I make disciples because of what Jesus did, who Jesus is, and the fact that Jesus is Lord. It's not based on me. In fact, in fact there's only one kind of person God can't use. Do you know what kind of person that is? Someone who actually thinks they got it going on. That's the only person that God's like, I'm sorry, I can't use you. Because you obviously don't need me. You already know everything. And those are the people that God just kind of passes over. When you think about it, why did Jesus start this movement with fishermen? Why did he start it with tax collectors? Why not go to the greatest schools possible and say, I need some recruits. Uh, I'm going to change the world. Uh, history is going to be divided by my lifespan, A.D., B.C. You don't know what that means yet, but you'll know in about 200 years. And I need to change the whole world, change the whole planet and everything. So give me your best candidates. Why didn't he do that? Because he knew that those people, they were just so full of what they knew. What they, were, what they thought they were able to do, they'd be useless in the hands of the master. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, we have this treasure in earthen jars of clay. We're jars of clay. That's all we are. He says we have this treasure to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. Somebody say, it's not me. It's from God. It's not what I have, okay? So you need to stop giving God excuses. Like, let's talk about the Bible. I don't know enough of the Bible. Let's talk about that one, because I like this one. Okay. The guys who watched Jesus ascend, the guys who watched him ascend to heaven, and, 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 and he said to them, I want you to tell everybody what I taught you, they didn't have a Bible. It hadn't been written yet. <laughs> Think about that. Like, they had the Old Testament, right? They had, they had Moses' books. They had the prophets. They had Proverbs. They had those books. But they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have Romans and 1 Corinthians. All they had was this statement from Jesus, tell everybody what I've taught you. They couldn't quote chapter and verse because chapter and verse was not even in existence yet. So, I'm not saying you shouldn't know your Bible. You absolutely should. That's how we find out what Jesus said. But let's just eliminate that excuse because it's not, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, it's not about how much you know. Let's talk about one of the other excuses. I have my own doubts. Okay, I like that excuse. I like that excuse because Matthew 28 blows it away. And we read it. For everybody who says I have my own doubts with this whole faith thing, uh, look with me at verse 16 and 17 again. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Say the next three words with me. But some doubted. <laughs> These are the guys that saw him walking around after he rose from the dead. Okay? We give Thomas a really bad name. 
What do we call him? We call him Doubting Thomas. And the Bible clearly says here in Matthew 28 that more than one, because the word some means more than one, doubted. It wasn't just doubting Thomas. It was doubting Mar Matthew and doubting Bartholomew and doubting, you know, Simon. And, and so some of them doubted. And I just, I think this is one of the funniest verses in Scripture. Because here's Jesus ascending to the clouds in heaven. He's just risen. They put their hands in his fingers and they felt the nails and his feet and in his side. And they saw him. They touched him. They ate bread with him. They knew it was him because they spent three years with him. You know somebody after three years of spending every single day with him. And, and, and so they're looking at him rising and ascending to heaven. And they're looking and they're saying, is that really him? I don't know. Do you, you think that's him? I'm not sure if that's him. But gosh, that's pretty cool how we just went up into heaven like that. We gotta realize this. We will always handicap ourselves mentally because we don't have it all together. True confession for you from your pastor. Not a week goes by in my life where I don't start doubting some stuff. And I get paid to preach. I mean, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> that should be something that I should have down, right? It's just, I'm human. And there are times, and I'll go through days, days, where I'm just like, whoa, man, that's a heavy doubt. What's this? I'm just, I'm thinking about, man, I, you, I mean, we do believe some pretty incredible stuff. Like somebody rising from the dead. 2,000 years ago, he was a carpenter, and now we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. It's pretty incredible. Not a week goes by where I don't sit there and say, man, is this real? <laughs> so let's stop making those excuses. Every disciple can make disciples. It's not what I have. It's what Jesus has. If Jesus has the authority, I'm good. If Jesus has the power, I'm good. And by the way, this is, this is going to set some of you free. God is the one who saves them. You don't save anybody. <laughs> you don't save a soul, man. I mean, that's what I love when people do the baptism testimonies and they don't mention me. I'm so, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because I don't do it. God does it. All I am there to do is to just say something. All right? And so this is, this is the other thing. The last excuse, I can't. I just can't do it. Okay, if you're taking notes, fill in the blank. God says go to people who can't. God says go <laughs> to people who can't. This is the testimony of pretty much every story in the Bible. That God finds someone who does not have it all together, who does not have a great resume, who does not have a great track record, and he tells them, I want you to do this. And they in and of themselves say, I can't. Okay, let's, let's rewind the tape, all right? Let's... Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Burning bush. Moses watching sheep. He tried to deliver the Israelites. He tried. He killed the guy. He buried him in the sand. He thought that's how God's going to use me to deliver the Israelites. That didn't work. They're coming after him. He's a fugitive. He's a refugee. He's running for his life. He's on the backside of a desert for 40 years. Burning bush moment. 
I says, hey, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. It's like God's just saying, hey, go tell the most powerful man on earth to let that free slave labor force go. Yes, you. Moses says, who am I? <laughs> He's looking for that resume. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? But God said what? I will be with you. It's not what I have. It's what Jesus has. Amen, somebody? Let's move ahead to Gideon. Gideon was hiding in a cave from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. He says, Gideon, I want you to deliver the Israelites from Midian. He says, who, you talking to me? I am the smallest guy in my family. My family's the smallest family in the clan. My clan is the smallest clan in the tribe. My tribe is the smallest of Israel. God says, I will be with you. Fast forward the tape a little further. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, this young punk. This young kid. I want to read it for you. Jeremiah 1.6. God speaks to him. Go and tell everybody what I've told you. And this is what he says in verse 6. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. Why? For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And by the way, Jeremiah wrote the longest prophetic book in the entire Bible. I know that Isaiah has more chapters, but word for word, it's actually shorter. And this is, this is coming from a guy who first said to God, I can't. Why? Because it's not what I have. It's what Jesus has. Let's fast forward a little further. Let's go right past the disciples this time, and let's go to a guy named the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, listen to me. Don't, don't, don't say yes, don't say amen, don't raise your hand here, but how many of you don't even want to tell other people about Jesus? I mean, there might be somebody, I don't think it's most of us, but I think that there's some people here tonight, if you were to be really honest, you'd say, I just don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. Okay, okay. Guess what? Paul the Apostle, who wrote over half of the New Testament, not only did he not want to tell anybody about Jesus, he wanted to kill everybody who knew about Jesus. And what happened to him? Jesus shows up. <laughs> Says, hey, Paul, you know how you want to kill all my followers? Um, actually, are playing, uh, plans are changing. Okay? I, I need you to start telling everybody about me. And this guy just turns into this wild man for God. Just goes all over the known world of his day telling everybody about Jesus. So I, I, I get a kick out of people who say, oh, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with this. Jesus will get you. He has a way. He has a way of knocking you down and just wiping you out to where you say, okay. Because it's not what I have. It's what? It's what Jesus has. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Same thing that he said to Moses at the burning bush, and same thing that he said to Jeremiah, and same thing that he said to Gideon, verse, 28, verse 20 of Matthew 28, I am with you to the end of the age. 
God says go to people who can't. Number two, making disciples. Okay, it's not what you have, it's what Jesus has. But number two is very important. It's not about getting them to cross a line. You know, making disciples, some of you think, okay, that's, I know what that is, right? That's getting them to bow the head and say that prayer that you say at the end of the services, right? That's, that's what it means to make disciples. No. No. Maybe, maybe that it is for one or two people in your life, but most of the time, most of the time, all that you're going to be is a nudge. Everybody say, I'm a nudge. That was kind of a funny thing to say. <laughs> but that's, that's really what you are. Some of you, like, like I think about every human being on the face of the earth is born a negative 10 toward God. Every person. Every person born, including my kids. Okay, my kids were born negative 10, I'm telling you, from experience. Negative 10 toward God, didn't want to obey the rules, didn't want to follow instructions, don't like being told what to do. Everybody's born that way. Now, I and my wife have done a real lot of work to make them not negative tens. <laughs> We've nudged them with a lot of spankings and stuff. But nonetheless, your job in meeting a few people throughout your life and, and walking through life and doing this Jesus thing, okay, your job might just be for that one person at your job to nudge them from negative eight to negative seven. Are you following me? That you're going to be the first person they ever see who's not going to be the crazy, cuckoo Christian. You're going to be the first one. And they're going to say, you know, I've met Christians before, but you're different. You're not like that guy on television who wants me to send him $1,000. You're not like that, that weirdo that, that told me that I was going and burning in hell for all eternity. And, and, and how did you do it? By being there. By loving them in Jesus' name. By being the person who would talk to them when nobody else would talk to them. By being the person who would invite them over for a cookout when nobody else invited them over for a cookout. I mean, it's not hard. It's really just being a light in a dark place. And maybe, maybe there's a person in your job right now or in your family. And they're like, they're not a negative 10. You're like, pfft negative 10. My family's like negative 100. All right. Well, maybe it's your job just to move them to the negative 90 scale. It's not about getting them to cross a line. Do people need to cross a line? Yes. Absolutely. Jesus was always asking people to cross a line. Always. In fact, the whole book of Romans is about here's what it means to cross a line. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So that's crossing the line. But I've known, I, 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 and, I, and I'll say this, you know, just to be honest with you, just to be transparent, I, I have conversations with people regularly and I don't get them to cross the line. And I used to be that guy who thought, I have to get them to cross the line. Anybody tracking with that? I got to be the guy who gets them to bow the head, close the eyes, and say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I used to think that every conversation that I had with somebody, that, had to, that conversation had to end with that prayer or it was a failure. <laughs> it's like how to set yourself up for failure. 
Because most of the conversations are not going to be like that. Most of the conversations, you're just going to be you telling people how Jesus has influenced your life, how Jesus has changed your life, why you love God. I was, I was watching my son practice baseball uh, two, week, two weeks ago, just watching him practice. I'm reading my book. You know, I got all my books on my iPad. I'm reading my book in my car, and I got the door open because it's kind of hot and everything. I'm just reading my book, trying to, you know, mind my business. And this person just comes up to me and says, which one's your son? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm, read, I'm reading a Christian book, and I'm like, oh. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, Connor's my son. And, and they start talking about some things. And, and you know what? I just start talking. No theology, no, you know, chapter and verse. And, and this person is just like, I just get so worried about kids today. I get so worried about what influences that they're facing. I get so worried for my sons. They're going on and on. I just said, you know what? i got to be honest with you. I don't worry. I don't worry because I know that Jesus Christ is in charge. It just came out. That's, that's, what, it's ta- that's what I'm talking about. That's all that it is. Just let it come out. All right? You don't have to sound cuckoo. You don't have to sound weird. You don't have to be super spiritual. All you got to do is tell people, why do you have confidence? Why is there peace in your heart? Why don't you worry like other people worry? That might be the conversation for you. And and let me tell you something, that conversation went on for 45 minutes. I was so filled up after that conversation because, you know, Jesus says my, my food comes from doing the will of him who sent me. You will find this to be true. When you share your faith with other people, you get filled up. It's an amazing phenomenon but that's what happens and at the end of the conversation i was just so happy I was just, oh oh this was so much better than reading a book you know it's so much better it's awesome and and they left and let me tell you they didn't cross the line they didn't cross the line but i know in my heart that they were nudged i know in my heart that they were nudged listen that's all you are sometimes you're just a nudge small group leaders that's all you're called to do you don't have to change them you don't have to change anybody. You can't, by the way. Anybody know that? Like all the, all the married people know that, right? Of course I can't change anybody. I've lived with them 30 years. I can't change them. You can't change a soul. But what you can do is just be the influence that God uses to ultimately do a dynamic, powerful change in their lives. I, I, I think, can I, let me just talk about one thing. All right. I think about AA. And we've got a lot of people in this church, you come from AA. AA is one of the most powerful organizations in America, in the world. And it's just, here's, here's all that AA is. AA is addicts helping other addicts not be addicts anymore. <laughs> That's all that it is. And, and I, went, I went online, and I looked up, I already know, but the 12 steps, and they kind of summarized it on their Wikipedia page, which I know, Wikipedia, not that reliable, but this was pretty, pretty reliable based on what I've heard and what I've, I've, I know that many of you will agree with this. And I just looked up the, 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 the steps and the, the, the focus of AA. Here's what it says. Number one, admitting that one cannot control one's addiction or compulsion. Well, that sounds like confession. Sounds like what we do here. Uh, Number two, recognizing a higher power that can give you strength. Well, that sounds like Jesus, right? 
Examining past errors with the help of a sponsor, experienced member. That sounds like repentance and getting involved in a small group. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, four, making amends for these errors. That sounds like reconciliation. Uh, number five, learning to live a new life with a new code of behavior. Well, that sounds like discipleship. And then the last one, helping others who suffer from the same addictions or compulsions. That sounds like making disciples. You know what I get frustrated with? Here's what I get frustrated with. AA is doing what the church should be doing better than the church is doing it. Do you, do you know why I'm frustrated by that? Because it's, it's too much of the church is about you dressing up, getting to a building on a Sunday, looking the part, saying, good to see you, God bless you, walking out the door, and that's it. God is happy with you, and that is baloney. Because this movement is about addicts helping other addicts. People who don't got it together. All right? People who are still in the process, who have a heart for other people in the process. It might not be alcohol. It might be pride. It might be gambling. It might be porn. It might be just you're just arrogant. Whatever it is. Gossiping. Slander. Just you're a control freak. And you need to be freed from being a control freak. And all we need to stop doing is stop playing church and actually be people who say, I am here to influence others towards freedom in Jesus Christ's name. That's what this is about. That's what it's about. And, and I know, and I know, some, I know all the AA people are going to come up after me after the service, and you're going to say, well, he got all of it from the Bible. I know that. I know that. I've heard that 100,000 times. And, and, and all I have to say, the only thing I have against AA is that they took everything out of the Bible except the most important thing, Jesus. <laughs> and I understand that it's effective for people who are not followers of Jesus, and praise God, because yes, the world is better off without alcoholics. Yes. I don't care what faith they come from, but let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you something. I think we need to start doing this. Start being real. Letting people know we are not at some level. We're just like you. That, that have been deeply and profoundly changed by a carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago. Amen, somebody? Amen. Number three, okay, it's not about getting them to cross the line, but let me just make sure you hear one more thing. It's not just living by example. Now, this sounds strange, but remember Jesus said, your job is to teach them, teach them to observe whatsoever I command you. Okay, I get this from people. Well, I'm, I make disciples by living a good life and doing my best and being nice to everybody. And, and some of you are like, I don't like, to, I don't like to talk. I like to let my walk do the talking. And that's wonderful. <laughs> yes, let your walk do the talking. But at some point, you got to open this thing. Because let me just, let me just show you why, Okay. If it's just about letting other people see your good behavior, then you can mistakenly send the message that your good behavior is the goal of this faith. You with me? 
Like, I just want to be a good example. Okay, wonderful, you're a good example. But look, that's not making disciples in Jesus' name. Because anybody can be a good person. In America, where we got plenty of money and plenty of jobs and plenty of, you know, freedom, you could be an atheist and you can be a great guy. You can be a Muslim and be an awesome stand-up person. You can be an, a Buddhist and be a pillar of society. That's not what we're called to be. We're not called to be super good people with really good examples. No, here's what we're called to do. We're called to tell people about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, our, our job is not to point them to our good behavior. Our job is to point them to the behavior, the actions, the life of Jesus Christ. And our job is not to lead people towards a model of being nice. Our job is to let people know that there is no salvation found in anybody else's name except the name of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'm all for you being a good person now. <laughs> Please do. We'll appreciate that. But you got to do two things for me. You got to do two things. You got to open your Bible and learn and read and come to church and learn and read and go to small group and learn and read. And you're going to have to open your mouth at some point. It could be something as simple as just inviting someone to church. Simple. And here's, here's why I know you have to do it, okay? You got your notes open? One last thing. One last thing I want you to fill in the blank there. Somebody opened their mouth for you. Because you all confessed this about, a ha about 30 minutes ago. I said, how many of you are here because somebody said to you something, made you rethink your life, and you're here today because of that person, and almost everybody in this room raised their hand. Someone spoke, and you changed. I'm asking you to speak for somebody else. If you're taking notes, one last thing I want you to fill in the blank, please. And even if you're not taking notes, I want you to fill this in on the note page. On the bottom it says, blank spoke up for me. I think this is a healthy exercise. That you remember who it was that made you rethink how you were living your life. Go ahead, fill it in. Fill it in. Who's the person? Write it down. Write it down all across this room. Because we got to remember that we're not, our, we're not self-made disciples. Somebody spoke up for us. And here's what I'm doing for you. I'm asking that you speak up for somebody else. Open your mouth. It could be very simple. You know what it could be? It could be shopping for books. And someone's there whose marriage is on the rocks. And your simple, simple sentence could change the trajectory of their life. We had a baptism last night. Two. A married couple who showed up in this church about eight months ago. No, actually now it's a year. A year ago. I was so moved by this woman's testimony, I think you need to hear it again. Because you don't hear all the testimonies from every baptism, every service. But I, I want you to hear this one. Of how a simple opening of your mouth 
could change the destiny of an entire family. Watch this. My name is Tracy Narold. I started coming to Waters Church about a year ago. Up until then, I had no kind of faith at all in my life. I always felt like I didn't belong to a club almost. I didn't really have anybody leading me into any kind of, you know, nobody said, come on, let's go to church or anything like that. Jeff and I got married four years ago, this June, and even previous to us being married, it was pretty volatile. Our weekends consisted of either going to whatever club his band was playing at, um, or, you know, a bottle or two of vodka was the choice. It took us to a very um, terrible place in our marriage, um, rock bottom. I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't feel like a good mom anymore. It was pretty terrible. And I thought my marriage was over, which killed me because I very much in love with my husband. So at that point, um, pretty much all of my friends and family had uh, written off my marriage as um, in, was going to end in divorce. I still wasn't 100% sure because, of course, I got married to him because I loved him and we'd been together on and off since uh, 1991. <laughs> so long time. After a month or so of us just talking on the phone or writing to each other, uh, he all of a sudden just really talked to me and was writing to me about how he had found his faith again. I wasn't sure about any of that. I, I really didn't know if I wanted to be involved in that. I thought it was just maybe his way of getting me back into his life. And then when we finally saw each other face to face and I looked into his eyes, I knew that he was serious. Previous to that, when he had said that he was going to, you know, be serious, uh, I decided I wanted to get out of town, go visit an aunt in Florida that I had um, previously, anytime things went wrong, pack a bag, go to Florida. And uh, when I did, I said, uh, God, now um, I need more than just Jeff telling me. So I need a sign, and I need a sign like black and white sign and before I went uh, home from Florida I still hadn't found that sign and I was like okay God last chance I'm getting on this plane to go home and I still haven't found what I'm looking for we don't have Borders bookstore anymore but I saw that they had a books a million store so I walked in and there was a giant sign I mean a huge sign one I had never seen before in a bookstore and it said Bibles on sale 40% off <laughs> Well, <laughs> if that's not a sign, I'd be pretty blind. So there was a woman underneath the sign. There was a bin of Bibles, and there was some pretty ones with, you know, burnt crosses into the front. They were purple, and I was all excited and like, all right. But I opened it, and it was so foreign to me. It seemed like a Shakespearean novel or something. So this woman said, come with me. I'm going to show you where, you know, there's much more readable Bibles. So she took me down this aisle in the back of the store. She took out this ESV Bible. She sniffed it, read a few passages from it, and I was like, that's way better than a Dr. Phil self-help book. Um, 
thanks. The store has great customer service. And she said, I don't work here. I'm just a Christian trying to help somebody in need. And I was like blown away. <laughs> like not only did God lead me to this bookstore with a 40% off Bible sign, but he put this person in my life to show me where this Bible was that didn't seem intimidating to me. I could read it. It was, uh, I opened it. Proverbs, I read it the whole plane ride. I couldn't stop reading. I read and read and read. And and then I started responding to Jeff and saying, you know, I might be able to work on our marriage. So let's try that Waters Church again. I'll give it a try. I sat down and all of a sudden this fake wedding starts. I'm like, what the heck is this? What's going on? It's death by marriage. Tim starts preaching about death by marriage. I'm like, okay, if this isn't a sign. So at the beginning of the series, I was like, Jeff, sit a seat away from me. I'm all set. Next time, I'm sitting next to him. Third time, I'm crying and holding on to him. And we start having dinner together, start working on our marriage together. Um, maybe two or three months into it, and when, you know, bow your head. And if this is what you believe today, raise your hand. And it was like tingling from feet to head and up went my hands and I was like please save me please save me from this torturous hell I have been in for 38 years and I never looked back after that I was I didn't care anymore what anybody thought I can't even imagine my life without faith or God or Waters Church I could never have made it I seriously Thank you.